0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Today I am so honored and pleased to have as my guest on Healing the Grieving Heart Keeping your marriage strong. Wayne Loader. Wayne has been a journalist, newspaper reporter, editor, and is currently the public awareness coordinator for the Compassionate Friends. He has been a chapter leader for the Compassionate Friends along with his wife, and has helped along with his wife Pat edited the Compassionate Friends newsletter, which became the Apex award-winning quarterly magazine, We Need Not Walk Alone. And this is a very special magazine that you can get a hold of through the Compassionate Friends. Wayne and Pat The Lake Area chapter of the Compassionate Friends in 1993 following the deaths of their only two children at that time, Stephanie and Stephen. Wayne is the husband of Pat Loder, the executive director of the Compassionate Friends, and father of Chris, his son, age 13, and Katie, age 11. Wayne, thanks so much for being on the show today, keeping your marriage strong. How many years have you been married?
1: Uh, Hi,
0: Gloria. Hi, Wayne.
1: Well we have been married for twenty nine twenty nine years yeah
0: and uh how how long ago did um uh stephen and uh what was your
1: daughter's stephanie. name
0: stephanie yes uh how long ago was it that they were killed
1: they were um they were killed fourteen years ago uh-huh
0: and so um
1: we are coming up on our fifteenth anniversary of uh, our marriage since they died, and we had 15 years of marriage before they died. So it's we're coming up to another one of those um, anniversaries that we all think about after our child has died.
0: Mm-hmm, the 15 year. Well, I was thinking about my marriage, uh, and I was married, um, I've been married for 23 years before my son was killed and 22 years after, so I'm thinking, wow, I've been married for 45 years, which uh, seems pretty amazing. Well, um, this is an important topic. I know you and I have talked about this before, uh, about keeping marriage strong, and and some of the um, uh, myths and some of the things that uh, people who have lost children have been told. And we'll get to that uh, topic um, after. But first, I'd like to ask you if you could tell us a bit about your two children being killed and the circumstances around it, and about uh, maybe a little bit about Pat's brother, uh, who was killed. What uh, a few? Or did he? Was he killed, or did he die?
1: Well, actually, um, he died. Um, and in fact, I was going to start out with him uh, as I was listening to your question because uh, he was diagnosed with lung cancer the end of May of 1990, and he died four months later. Um, so that was a pretty rough time for Pat and also for her parents. But Pat really had no idea that the worst was yet to come. Um, On March 20th of 1991, the very first day of spring, and so that day, unfortunately, has special significance for us, Pat uh, had been uh, helping her father uh, with some work at his home, and um, she had finished up for the day and was... uh, she had um, said goodbye to her to her dad, and the kids had given him a kiss. And they traveled home, which was only a mile and a half away. And they were both of the kids were seatbelted firmly into the car. Uh, as she came to our street, she had to make a left-hand turn. And um, as she was coming to the street, she noticed that. Um, that there was a motorcyclist who was coming towards her and she waited for, for him. Then she noticed two motorcycles way down the street and, uh, um, not feeling any danger at all, she went ahead and started to turn. Uh, as she related it to me, she looked back a second, split second later after she started to turn and, uh, saw what she thought was Just a a mind boggling, horrifying sight because she said to herself, My God, they're speeding up. And before she could even uh, hit the accelerator to get the car through the
0: intersection,
1: one of the motorcyclists uh, struck the car on the passenger side between the front door and the motor compartment. Mm. Um, He had been the young man who was driving the motorcycle, uh, struck her car uh, on one of these high-speed motorcycles that only had about 500 miles on it. And my understanding was that the three motorcyclists, the first one that had met Pat, and then the other two, had a bet going. Mm-hmm. And that was that the last one to the bar bought the beer. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them didn't make it. Mm-hmm. The one who hit Pat's car uh we understand they accelerated from a traffic light along with his buddy. The first one had actually blown through the red light. Um, the, the other two waited a moment and then both of them blew through the red light also. and according to the police reports, and that's about a third of a mile down the street from our street, and um, they just accelerated, mm-hmm. and the speedometer on the motorcycle, was stuck at 114 miles per hour, and we do believe that when he hit the car, it was traveling at that speed. Uh, his friend said that he was probably watching his tachometer instead of the road, which is apparently a common problem with uh, new motorcyclists who have never ridden um, sport motorcycles before. Mm-hmm. In any case, the impact uh, pushed Pat's car 26 feet sideways, according to the police, and they made the comment that if the motorcyclist had been going the speed limit, Pat not only would have been able to turn onto our street, she would have actually been into our driveway before that motorcycle ever would have reached our street.
0: So certainly impacting your life and your marriage uh, and relationship and changing the life that you thought you were going to live forever.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was this was the start of a horrifying experience. Um,
0: and you had, I know, uh, we're going to have to come on break, up and break in a moment, but I know that uh, uh, Stephen died immediately, was it?
1: Yes, Stephen. Um, and you,
0: then you went to the hospital with Stephanie, uh, to a totally different hospital from Pat, and she was hospitalized, as I remember it. Right, Stephen and, couldn't uh, be revived.
1: Yeah. And so um, everyone was taken by ambulance to the hospital. And um, Stephen, they couldn't revive. Uh, they worked on him for two hours. I had finally arrived uh, from work, I had been called, and I finally arrived from work. And um, uh, after talking with Pat for a few minutes, I was ushered into a family room. And it was there that the doctors came in and said that they had worked on Stephen and that um, they were unable to save him.
0: Oh, my goodness. I wondered uh, how, how over time, it's been 15 years now, have you dealt with this as a couple
1: Well, um, as I was uh, preparing for this show, I was
0: kind of going back
1: over some articles that I'd written and some that Pat had written, and I came across a couple paragraphs that uh, Pat had written in one of her articles. I think really sums up the way that we both feel about it. Uh, She wrote, We had to work our way towards the realization that we were living in a situation that could not be fixed. We needed to deal with the reality of the situation in order to get an understanding of who we now were as individual people and as a couple. One day, Wayne looked at me with eyes pleading, begging for understanding, as I bombarded him with a series of questions that had no answers. He finally broke his silence when he said, it's hard for me to throw you a lifeline when I'm drowning myself.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you remember saying that, Wayne?
1: I do remember saying that because it was like the lights went on in her eyes.
0: Uh And And how did you come to that, feeling like that... Uh, how did you find that in yourself to say that I'm drowning too
1: I I don't know where those words came from except that at that point in time she was uh, asking me questions she was she had always felt that I was the one who could fix anything that that no matter what went wrong she could come to me and I could fix it this I couldn't fix mm-hmm. and as she was asking me questions I, I was just... Um, at the point where I, I just made that comment because I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I sh- sure couldn't help her if I couldn't help myself.
0: Now, um, do you think that that's a guy kind of thing, the fixing idea in a marriage?
1: That... Uh, absolutely. Um, in talking with, with many, many brief families, it always seemed that the um, husband was the one who, Usually was expected to fix everything. I'm not saying that that's the case all the time because I've certainly talked with uh, women who have told me that they were really the strong one in the family. And when the death of their child happened, the husband um, completely withdrew and they had, the wife had to handle all Mm -hmm. the arrangements, et cetera. But uh, as Well, there are
0: different scenarios,
1: but yours was. Uh, absolutely. Every every situation is different, and I think that's what we need to keep in mind as we're looking at uh, marriage and bereavement. Um, no, no two situations are the same, so there are really no universal answers to uh, how to keep a marriage strong.
0: I, I believe that
1: there are many answers. There are many pieces to the puzzle that you have to put together.
0: Yes, and uh, we really don't know uh, what keeps couples together. It's very interesting. There's been a lot of studies on why couples break up. In fact, uh, John Gottman um, has done a lot of work on looking at couples and he can tell you that uh, that he can tell the large majority of couples that will divorce. He studies them in his lab. But uh, he himself will say that he can't say what keeps a couple together and why, why some marriages uh, are more successful than others. But um, the idea that has been proliferated, that couples who have uh, children die, uh, probably will divorce, uh, has been thrown around for years. Uh, Where did you first hear that idea?
1: Well, uh, Pat told me a few months after the kids died that at the hospital she was given a bereavement packet
0: by the hospital,
1: and in that bereavement packet was a booklet that talked about uh, marriage and bereavement. And in it, it cited uh, astronomical percentages of marriages that failed after the death of a child. And she told me that what went through her mind was the fact that first she had lost Stephen, then Stephanie had died, and now her marriage was going to die. Mm -hmm. And. And
0: Do you remember what came up for you when she said that?
1: When she said that, I remember saying to her that we're just going to have to make certain that we're not part of those statistics. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's what we have worked to make certain about
0: throughout Mm -hmm. the rest
1: of our marriage.
0: So you set an intention that your marriage was going to make it through. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. our marriage was was very, very strong before uh, the kids died and I wanted to see to it that it remained strong and that our marriage thrived even though we were we were hurting inside.
0: Now, I think that's an important issue, uh, point that you've just made right now. Your marriage was strong before your child died and you wanted to keep it that way. I think the, that we do have to look at uh previous the way the marriage was previously, we can't expect uh some miracle to happen. Or uh I would say that a child dying does not necessarily bring us together. Um, we do we do know that we grieve differently. In some way it brings us together because we've had the same event and uh but in some ways because you may be up when your partner's down or vice versa. Do you remember any of those times when you were up and Pat was down or the other way around? Oh, I think that because we certainly handled our
1: grief differently, there were certainly many times like that. And um, it was trying to know when to not get in the other person's way that was important to kind of keeping us on an even keel. Uh, I think that if we had both approached uh, grief and just really just, thrown it out there and and always talked about it, uh, I think we would have ended up um, probably having times when we just were not connecting and things that we would say might hit the other person the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we tried to be very careful to, um, to let the other person have their space when they needed it and yet to still be available to talk. when um, when it was necessary.
0: I think that's important. And and sometimes uh, if you're a very verbal person and you need to talk, um, I know sometimes we get obsessive about our talking about the event and need to talk about it. And it can be a burden on your partner. And sometimes you may need to find, say, a minister or a friend or somebody that you can kind of let out the steam or anger or frustration or, or whatever. And groups like the Compassionate Friends are wonderful places to go to be able to do that so there's not so much uh, dependence on your partner, to be able to listen to other people, see how they've done it, and also uh, to be able to talk about it. It's almost like a balloon full of hot air sometimes. You just need to let it seep out a little at a time and not not blow the, the whole thing at once because one of the things that we know as couples, we need to tell our story, and uh, it's good to tell it to different people sometimes. Absolutely.
1: Um, I think that um, we had probably a rougher time in the beginning because we truly didn't know any other couples who had uh, had a child who had died.
0: And you'd had two. Pardon me? And you'd had two children. Right, and we had had
1: two children who had died. So it was kind of like we were living in a vacuum. We didn't know anyone else. That we could really relate to and um, we were searching for other people but yet we really weren't mentally able to do that it wasn't until a friend of mine told me about the Compassionate Friends and I think this was probably about six months after the kids died that um, we decided to go to a meeting and see what it was all about and I thank God every day that that friend came to me and told me about that because if he had not, I don't know where we would be today. Uh, When we walked into that first Compassionate Friends meeting, we were met by really caring people. I mean, we got hugs. You don't get, you know, after the initial time that the children have died, yes, you get a lot of hugs then. But after that, they start falling off. People stop coming by and talking to you. Uh, they're uncomfortable with the situation, and they just kind of start to stay away. Even your own family, it mm-hmm. can happen. Well, when you go to a Compassionate Friends meeting, it's completely different. Uh, there, you're not afraid to let out your emotions. Um, that's why if you go to a Compassionate Friends conference, You'll find people hugging, you'll find people crying,
0: you'll find people talking. I mean, every possible... Or you won't have to talk if you don't want to. Wayne, uh, I wanted to uh, take an email before we move on. We have an email here uh, from Susan from Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. And Susan says, I noticed that you were having a show on marriage. My son died of a brain tumor two years ago. We have two other kids and we seem to be doing okay However, my husband has a friend who is separated from his wife, and he and uh, he is giving him a lot of support. I feel really uncomfortable about him going around with a guy who is having marital problems. I have heard that we are risk at risk for divorce, and I would appreciate your thoughts, Susan. Um, I'd like to feel that. Uh, okay.
1: Um, Susan, I guess what I would say to you is that divorce isn't catching. And what your husband may actually be finding as he's with his friend is that his friend really wishes and hopes that his marriage will survive. No one wants to be alone. I mean, one truly mm-hmm. is the loneliest number. And I, my suspicion is that what your friend is, uh, what your husband's friend is telling him is, I know you've been through something that's really horrific. You've got a great wife. You really need to do everything that you can to keep that marriage alive. So if anything, I would encourage your husband to spend as much time as he wants to with
0: his friend. I don't
1: think that there's a problem there.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, Susan, uh, if you're feeling a little uncomfortable, why don't you have him over for dinner, too, and uh, kind of uh, make it a, a threesome And uh, that might make you feel a little more comfortable too. I think, Wayne, one of the things that you're getting at and one of the things that uh, I've kind of heard um, from you about the compassionate friends is it's hard for a guy to have other guys who will listen to him, who will hang out with him, who will give him a hug, and that's the kind of things we need after we've had a child, eh?
1: Well, absolutely. It's, um, you know, women do, I believe, and I think most people tend to believe, uh, tend to express themselves a lot better um, in, in mixed company and
0: men tend to
1: be the more quiet type in those situations. They're not going to express the pain that they're feeling because that's not, just not the way that the macho aspect of uh, the male uh, makeup uh, is handled. So it's, um, it's great when men are able to Talk with each other, and that does happen at Compassionate Friends meetings too. And I think that's one of the good things about about TCF meetings is men should feel that they are welcome, and they will have that opportunity.
0: Wayne, what um, would uh, your major a major piece of advice that you might give, or what advice would you give for those couples who've lost a child as couples?
1: Okay, I guess what I would say is take the time that you need before you make any hasty decisions about anything, uh, you're really in a, in a state of shock at that point, and you have to take time, and you have to search your soul and figure out with what's happened, you know, what direction your life will lead. Where is it going to go to? And this includes your work and your marriage and your family. And when you have a plan, you feel you have some control over the situation, and this makes it easier to reach your new goals because there will be new goals. What was important before your child died no longer has the same importance. So you're going to be changed. You will have new goals. There will be different things that you will want to accomplish with your life, and you need to actually look at these, maybe even write them down.
0: Mm -hmm. Maybe set some couples' goals and some individual goals.
1: Absolutely.
0: One of the things that I would suggest um, to, maybe not exactly a goal, but something you do is have a date night. Uh, try to, to plan a time when you will have some fun together and talk about what you can do or uh, even a family. Now, I've talked about this before, small things, maybe just going out for an ice cream cone at first, uh, maybe just taking a walk. My in-laws used to take a walk around the block every night, literally just one block. So anything um, you can do. You know intimacy is a big issue, and uh one of the things I want to talk to Wayne about now is how he and Pat decided to have uh more children and um the intimacy uh I have some thoughts on that about holding hands and and touching and uh, uh kind of going slowly but Wayne, could you tell us a little bit about your decision, yours and Pat's, to have uh two more children
1: uh sure when um when the kids died, I had just turned 40, and uh, we had a great celebration, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize it was going to be marred by something, something as tragic as this, but definitely the um, biological aspect of, um, biological clock aspect was... Was Pat being, younger than you? Pat, Pat was younger than me by a few years.
0: Uh And uh, And how many would that be? How old was she?
1: By four years. Oh, okay. Four years younger than I was.
0: So she was uh, 36.
1: She was 36, right. You were 40, okay. And um, we knew we had to make a decision, and that would be a decision that we would live with for the rest of our lives. So on the one hand, we knew we wanted more children. We wanted to feel little hands in ours again. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we didn't want to take a chance of the possibility of future losses because, unfortunately, as we have found out in other situations, lightning can strike twice. So we had to weigh both of those things, and we finally came to the conclusion that we had so much love to give, we'd be depriving ourselves of what we consider the, probably the greatest of life's experience, and that's having children, watching them grow up, uh, one day getting married, and then starting that cycle over again with their own children.
0: Now, could you tell me um, when Pat told you she was pregnant? Uh, I was just wondering what that moment was like, and when she found out. And
1: I, I was—I'm uh, sure that I probably jumped up about three feet in the air when I heard that. Um, I was absolutely elated, and yet I was dumbstruck at the same time because I didn't know whether or not um, we were ever going to have more children. In fact, the odds were against it from everything that we had been told, and by our doctors. Okay. But it happened, and uh, and it happened a second time, and we were just so fantastically happy with it, and we have never, ever regretted that decision. Now, I'm not saying that that's right for everyone. I have no idea.
0: Oh, that person. everyone can possibly do that.
1: And that's right. I mean, I know, I certainly know many other people who have not been able to have more children, and some have chosen other routes, which I think is great. Uh, certainly, we would have considered adoption had not, we've been able to have more biological children. Um, but definitely um, some people we know have decided not to have children uh, in their lives in the future. And um, I would say that I've heard more people say that they wish that they had gone ahead and had more children or arranged some something, an adoption or being a foster parent mm-hmm. or whatever than people who who said that they, uh, mm-hmm. they i had didn't.
0: uh we I had three girls, and Scott was our only son and a- actually we thought about it, but I was like uh forty two or something mm-hmm. and uh so um we thought better of it, but i do do think you'd think about it now that was a year after um the uh Stephanie and Stephen were killed.
1: Roughly uh, a little bit over a year. Yeah. That
0: Chris was born a little bit over a year later.
1: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So he's thirteen and Katie eleven. Um, yes, I know that, that uh, this is a big decision uh, for people, and as I say, not everyone is able to um, make this decision. Do you, Now, was it uh, that was a stressful time for you? How how did you deal with it as a couple? You uh, Pat being pregnant at that time must have needed a lot of support. How was that on your marriage, and how did that go?
1: Well, certainly we were having our own struggles from that standpoint. Another thing that played a role in here is that Pat's father had become very ill, and we felt that it was necessary to take him into our house and to help as, as best we could to nurse him back. And Pat was
0: pregnant, and you, she had her father in the house, and you that, were grieving your two children?
1: That's correct. Wow, that's incredible. We, um, we felt that obligation. He was a great man. He gave us great support when the kids died. I believe that part of his ill health did come on after his grandkids died, as well as his son, and um, we wanted to help him. And so he, he was there. We tended to his needs. And so that did add an extra stress to our our recovery if you want to put it that way, but um, uh, eventually unfortunately he did uh, pass away and we continued as time went along to work on um, on our marriage even as Pat was having more children and
0: did you ever have any uh, professional help but of... A- uh counselor or anything? Or?
1: If, there there are very few people who have had a child who's died who haven't had some type of pro- professional help. Um, whether it's been helpful, I guess that depends on the person and on the professional who they go to. Um, I have talked with...
0: Did you do anything? Oh, yes. You no. did? Oh, okay. I and that, was it helpful? The professionals who knew nothing
1: about uh, how to handle parents whose child had died other than what they had read in textbooks, were really not very helpful because mm-hmm. they really didn't have much credibility with me. Uh, the I knew one person who did have a child who had died, and um, this person certainly could relate and certainly was very helpful. So. I think it depends on who it is, how comfortable.
0: Yes, I think we've talked about that on previous shows that um, it is, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting some professional help. It's great. But make sure there are many, many grief centers in the United States right now, and most towns have them, and uh, find out somebody who actually understands the field. And as Wayne said, it's not just read about it. Before we move on, I wanted to read you an email and then I know, uh, during break you said that there was a survey that you wanted to talk to me about regarding keeping your marriage strong. Um, we have an email here from Ray from Houston, Texas. He says, uh, Dear Dr. Horsley, I have found your show very helpful since our baby died shortly, since our baby died shortly after birth. It has been two months and my wife is still crying a lot. I won't even let her, she won't even let me hug her. It was our first child. Do you have any suggestions? I'm feeling lonely and shut out. Ray says here also she talks a lot to her mother. Do you have any thoughts about that for him?
1: Well, uh, th- it's only been two months, and when we're talking, I think what we're really talking about here is intimacy. Mm-hmm. I think we're talking about about how we have to approach becoming the people on a personal basis that we were before our children died. And and in this case, uh, Ray had a baby who died, and um, he mentioned that his wife had been crying every day. Let me say, first off, that is not unusual. Mm -hmm. I woke up many mornings and Pat would be sobbing over the loss of our children. So that's certainly not unusual. I think what he needs to do is he needs to hug her and and she may not want him to hug her, but I think it's something that she may eventually welcome. I think it's got to come back
0: mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, you know uh one of the things Ray I'd say to you is it has been two months there are a lot of biological hormones going around for women, and uh particularly if she was planning on breastfeeding and she can't do that and so there are a lot of things going on. Um, I think Ray probably needs to take a look at his relationship prior to the, the baby's death. What kind of an intimacy did he have at that time? What kind of a sexual relationship uh, did they have? Maybe do a little thoughtful assessment of that and see if um, if he had had a good relationship before. He certainly should have a good one after. And if that's not happening, as Wayne says, gradually you put your arm around it, you hold your hand, Talk to them about it, and then I would certainly suggest that um, he move on and get some professional help if it's a big change from uh, before the child died. But go slowly. As Wayne says, it's only been two months. Uh, so, Wayne, you were talking uh, during break about a survey uh, on uh, marriage that was, well, could you talk to us a little bit about it? It was um, supported by Compassionate Friends or whatever.
1: Well, it was um, actually a survey that was done on behalf of the Compassionate Friends, and it covered a number of different areas that uh, we wanted to learn about as an organization. Uh, but one of the areas had to do with divorce, the divorce statistics, and the high numbers of divorces that you always read are the case. Uh, we were very suspect of those figures And so the survey turned out to be very revealing. Overall, in this survey, 72% of parents who were married at the time of their child's death were still married to the same person. And of the remaining 28% of marriages, 16% had had a spouse who had died. So only 12% of the marriages actually ended up in divorce. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Which is um, kind of amazing because we know there's about a 50% divorce rate uh, in in the population as a whole. Mm -hmm.
1: This is is an amazing statistic. I mean, it flies in the face of everything that you read about. And uh, as a journalist, I had read that statistic over the years, I, I, of course, had run into it with Pat's experience uh, with the mm-hmm. hospital information.
0: Now, what is the st- statistic? People said, I know, uh, in a very prominent um, grieving book, it uh, said 75% of uh, people will divorce.
1: I've read in books uh, anywhere from 70 to 90% uh, figures. And uh, I've also read that in newspaper articles and magazine articles and the journalist in me has tried to follow up on that. Um, I, in fact, I've, I've made many telephone calls trying to find out where these professionals or newspaper reporters got these figures because they're stating them as fact, and invariably it would lead to nowhere. In other words, they would say that they had received that information from someone else. I would call them. They said, well, I've got it from someone else. And then you call them, and they say, "Well, I don't really know where I got it, but everyone knows it's true." So uh-huh. it's just—it is a myth.
0: And um... yes, uh, one of the things you know—if if, if anything else we could accomplish on this show today, it would be for all of you out there to tell all the professionals that you know that uh, having a child by is not um, a cause of divorce. You know, there's not a direct causal relationship, and we don't know that, that there is a direct causal relationship. And I'm sure you could email me, and I'm sure Wayne would be glad to uh, give you a copy of the survey or send a copy of the survey to you to give to your professional friends and let them know that this is the case. And we really need to spread the word around about this, don't you think, Wayne?
1: I, I definitely agree with that, and I do try to spread around the word as much as I can. There is a summary of the study on our national website, confessionoffriends.org. So anyone is welcome to go to our website and take a look at the uh, summary of the survey.
0: That's great. That's a a great place to do it. You know, I uh, recently was uh, having a psychiatrist on the show who actually was a brief parent, and uh, somehow we got talking and he said, well, you know, there's a very high divorce rate. There's a very high chance of divorcing after your child dies. And I said, well, I don't know about that. Where do you get that statistic from? And I said, that's not the case um, that we found in this survey. And, and he was very surprised, even as a psychiatrist and a bereaved parent. So there is a lot of uh, word out there about that. Mm-hmm. Well, Wayne, uh, before we uh, close uh, the show, I wanted to uh, ask you a, a, kind of a little uh, switch question. Why do you think you didn't get divorced?
1: Well, I had the very good fortune of really marrying my best friend. And, you know, we went through a traumatic experience, but we stayed best friends. And, and in staying best friends, our marriage stayed strong. The way that I have put it to other people is the roots had grown deep and the tree wasn't about to fall. <laughs> so I think if, if you had a good marriage beforehand you'll have a good marriage afterwards. You just have to give it a chance.
0: I love that about the roots growing deep and the tree doesn't fall. And keep growing those little roots. There are things that you can do. I, I uh, sometimes say to people, you know, marriage is a process of falling in and out of love. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're more feeling more loving towards that partner. and uh, But as Wayne said, if you're best friends, uh, you have those, those roots that go deep. And having a child by is actually, in a lot of ways, even deepens the roots because you go through a really incredible life experience together.
1: There's there's no question about that. And I guess that um, if you were to ask me about anything that we really hadn't, had not covered uh, during this program, I guess that I would say that we just really hadn't uh, discussed why it is that such a small percentage of couples appear to end up divorcing after they have really been through the greatest stress factor of them all, uh-huh. uh, the death of a child. Um, I've thought about this many times, and I truly believe that it is because it's a common bond. it The loss of the child tends to bring the parents together.
0: I yes. really believe that
1: that is the case. They're facing a common loss. <clears throat> they are the only two children, I'm sorry, they are the only two people who have had an experience together. With children together.
0: Yes. Well, it's time to close our show now, Wayne, and I want to thank you again for being my guest and for sharing your thoughts on keeping our marriage strong with our audience today. You're you beautiful. and Pat and your sweet family are an inspiration to us all, and I want to thank Chris and Katie for being in our life. And Wayne, you do great work for the Compassionate Friends, and it's been a pleasure not only to have you on the show, but to count you as a friend. Thank you, Wayne.
1: I feel the same way. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.